Chapter twenty one of the Vicar of Wakefield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyg Hines. The Vicar of Wakefield by Oliver Goldsmith. Chapter twenty one. The short continuance of friendship amongst the vicious, which is coeval only with mutual satisfaction. My son's account was too long to be delivered at once. The first part of it was begun that night, and he was concluding the rest after dinner the next day, when the appearance of Mr. Thornhill's equipage at the door seemed to make a pause in the general satisfaction. The butler, who was now become my friend and the family, informed me in a whisper that the squire had already made some overtures to Miss Wilmot, and that her aunt and uncle seemed highly to approve the match upon mr thornhill's entering he seemed at seeing my son and me to start back but i readily imputed that to surprise and not displeasure however upon our advancing to salute him he returned our greeting with the most apparent candour and after a short time his presence served only to increase the general good humour after tea he called me aside to inquire after my daughter, but upon my informing him that my inquiry was unsuccessful, he seemed greatly surprised, adding that he had been since frequently at my house, in order to comfort the rest of my family, whom he left perfectly well. He then asked me if I had communicated her misfortune to Miss Wilmot or my son, and upon my replying that I had not told them as yet, he greatly approved my prudence and precaution, desiring me by all means to keep it a secret for at best cried he it is but divulging one's own infamy and perhaps miss livy may not be so guilty as we all imagine we were here interrupted by a servant who came to ask the squire in to stand up at country dances so that he left me quite pleased with the interest he seemed to take in my concerns his addresses however to miss wilmot were too obvious to be mistaken and yet she seemed not perfectly pleased but bore them rather in compliance to the will of her aunt than from real inclination i had even the satisfaction to see her lavish some kind looks upon my unfortunate son which the other could neither exhort by his fortune nor assiduity mr thornhill's seeming composure however not a little surprised me we had now continued here a week at the pressing instances of mr arnold but each day the more tenderness miss wilmot showed my son mr thornhill's friendship seemed proportionably to increase for him he had formerly made us the most kind assurances of using his interest to serve the family but now his generosity was not confined to promises alone the morning i designed for my departure mr thornhill came to me with looks of real pleasure to inform me of a piece of service he had done for his friend george this was nothing less than his having procured him an ensign's commission in one of the regiments that was going to the west indies for which he had promised but one hundred pounds his interest having been sufficient to get him an abatement of the other two as for this trifling piece of service continued the young gentleman i desire no other reward but the pleasure of having served my friend and as for the hundred pound to be paid if you are unable to raise it yourselves i will advance it and you shall repay me at your leisure this was a favour we wanted words to express our sense of i readily therefore gave my bond for the money and testified as much gratitude as if i never intended to pay george was to depart for town the next day to secure his commission in pursuance of his generous patron's directions who judged it highly expedient to use dispatch lest in the meantime another should step in with more advantageous proposals 
the next morning therefore our young soldier was early prepared for his departure and seemed the only person among us that was not affected by it neither the fatigues nor the dangers he was going to encounter nor the friends and mistress for miss wilmot actually loved him he was leaving behind any way damped his spirits after he had taken leave of the rest of the company i gave him all i had my blessing and now my boy cried i thou art going to fight for thy country remember how thy brave grandfather fought for his sacred king when loyalty among britons was a virtue go my boy and imitate him in all but his misfortunes if it was a misfortune to die with lord falkland go my boy and if you fall though distant exposed and unwept by those that love you the most precious tears are those with which heaven bedews the unburied head of a soldier the next morning i took leave of the good family that had been kind enough to entertain me so long not without several expressions of gratitude to mr thornhill for his late bounty i left them in the enjoyment of all that happiness which affluence and good breeding procure and returned towards home despairing of ever finding my daughter more but sending a sigh to heaven to spare and to forgive her i was now come within about twenty miles of home having hired an horse to carry me as i was yet but weak and comforted myself with the hopes of soon seeing all i held dearest upon earth but the night coming on i put up at a little public-house by the roadside and asked for the landlord's company over a pint of wine we sat beside his kitchen fire which was the best room in the house and chatted on politics and the news of the country we happened among other topics to talk of young squire thornhill who the host assured me was hated as much as his uncle sir william who sometimes came down to the country was loved he went on to observe that he made it his whole study to betray the daughters of such as received him to their houses, and after a fortnight or three weeks' possession, turned them out unrewarded and abandoned to the world. As we continued our discourse in this manner, his wife, who had been out to get change, returned, and perceiving that her husband was enjoying a pleasure in which she was not a sharer, she asked him, in an angry tone, what he did there, to which he only replied in an ironical way by drinking her health. "'Mr. Simmons,' cried she, "'you use me very ill, and I'll bear it no longer. "'Here three parts of the business is left for me to do, "'and the fourth left unfinished, "'while you do nothing but soak with guests all day long, "'whereas if a spoonful of liquor were to cure me of a fever, "'I never touch a drop.' "'I now found what she would be at, "'and immediately poured her out a glass, "'which she received with a curtsey, "'and, drinking towards my good health, "'Sir,' resumed she, "'it is not so much for the value of the liquor I am angry, "'but one cannot help it when the house is going out of the windows. "'If the customers or guests are to be dunned, "'all the burden lies upon my back. "'He'd as lief eat that glass as budge after them himself. "'There now above stairs we have a young woman "'who has come to take up her lodgings here, "'and I don't believe she has got any money by her over-civility. "'I am certain she is very slow of payment, "'and I wish she were put in mind of it.' "'What signifies minding her?' cried the host. "'If she be slow, she is sure.' "'I don't know that,' replied the wife. "'But I know that I am sure she has been here a fortnight, "'and we have not yet seen the cross of our money.' "'I suppose, my dear,' cried he, "'we shall have it all in a lump.' "'In a lump?' cried the other. "'I hope we may get it in any way, "'and that I am resolved we will this very night, "'or out she tramps bag and baggage. "'Consider, my dear.' cried the husband she is a gentlewoman and deserves more respect as for the matter of that returned the hostess gentle or simple out she shall pack with a sassarara 
Gentry may be good things where they take, but for my part I never saw much good of them at the sign of the harrow. Thus saying, she ran up a narrow flight of stairs that went from the kitchen to a room overhead, and I soon perceived by the loudness of her voice and the bitterness of her reproaches that no money was to be had from the lodger. I could hear her remonstrances very distinctly. Out, I say, pack out this moment, tramp, thou infamous strumpet, or I'll give thee a mark thou won't be the better of this three months. What, you trumpery, to come and take up an honest house, without cross or coins to bless yourself with? Come along, I say. Oh, dear madam, cried the stranger, pity me, pity a poor abandoned creature for one night, and death will soon do the rest. I instantly knew the voice of my poor ruined child, Olivia. I flew to her rescue while the woman was dragging her along by the hair, and I caught the dear forlorn wretch in my arms. Welcome, any way welcome, my dearest lost one, my treasure, to your poor old father's bosom. Though the vicious forsake thee, there is yet one in the world that will never forsake thee. Though thou hast ten thousand crimes to answer for, he will forget them all. Oh, my own dear! For minutes she could no more. My own dearest good papa! Could angels be kinder? How do I deserve so much? The villain, I hate him and myself, to be a reproach to such goodness. You can't forgive me, I know you cannot. Yes, my child, from my heart I do forgive thee. Only repent, and we both shall yet be happy. We shall see many pleasant days yet, my Olivia. Ah, never, sir, never. The rest of my wretched life must be infamy abroad and shame at home. But alas, papa, you look much paler than you used to. Could such a thing as I give you so much uneasiness? Sure you have too much wisdom to take the miseries of my guilt upon yourself. Our wisdom, young woman, replied I. Ah, why so cold a name, papa? cried she. This is the first time you ever called me by so cold a name. I ask pardon, my darling, returned I, but I was going to observe that wisdom makes but a slow defence against trouble, though at last a sure one. The landlady now returned to know if we did not choose a more genteel apartment, to which assenting we were shown a room where we could converse more freely. After we had talked ourselves into some degree of tranquillity, I could not avoid desiring some account of the gradations that led her to her present wretched situation. That villain, sir, said she, from the first day of our meeting made me honourable, though private, proposals. Villain, indeed, cried I, and yet in some measure surprises me. How a person of Mr. Burchell's good sense and seeming honour could be guilty of such deliberate baseness, and thus step into a family to undo it. Oh, my dear papa, returned my daughter, you labour under a strange mistake. Mr. Burchell never attempted to deceive me. Instead of that he took every opportunity of privately admonishing me against the artifices of Mr. Thornhill, who I now find was even worse than he represented him. Mr. Thornhill, interrupted I, can it be? Yes, sir, returned she, it was Mr. Thornhill who seduced me, who employed the two ladies, as he called them, but who in fact were abandoned women of the town, without breeding or pity, to decoy us up to London. Their artifices, you may remember, would have certainly succeeded but for Mr. Burchell's letter, who directed those reproaches at them which we all applied to ourselves. How he came to have so much influence as to defeat their intention still remains a secret to me, but I am convinced he was ever our warmest, sincerest friend. "'You amaze me, my dear,' cried I. "'But now I find my first suspicions of Mr. Thornhill's baseness were too well grounded.' 
but he can triumph in security, for he is rich and we are poor. But tell me, my child, sure it was no small temptation that could thus obliterate all the impressions of such an education, and so virtuous a disposition as thine. Indeed, sir, replied she, he owes all his triumph to the desire I had of making him and not myself happy. I knew that the ceremony of our marriage, which was privately performed by a popish priest, was no way binding, and that I had nothing to trust to but his honour. What? interrupted I. And were you indeed married by a priest, and in orders? Indeed, sir, we were, replied she, though we were both sworn to conceal his name. Why then, my child, come to my arms again, and now you are a thousand times more welcome than before, for you are now his wife in all intents and purposes. Nor can all the laws of man, though written upon tables of adamant, lessen the force of that sacred connection. Alas, papa, replied she, you are but little acquainted with his villainies. He has been married already, by the same priest, to six or eight wives more, whom, like me, he has deceived and abandoned. "'Has he so?' cried I. "'Then we must hang the priest, and you shall inform against him to-morrow.' "'But, sir,' returned she, "'will that be right when I am sworn to secrecy?' "'My dear,' replied I, "'if you have made such a promise, I cannot, nor will I tempt you to break it. Even though it may benefit the public, you must not inform against him. In all good human institutions a smaller evil is allowed to procure a greater good, as in politics a province may be given away to secure a kingdom.' in medicine a limb may be lopped off to preserve the body but in religion the law is written and inflexible never to do evil and this law my child is right for otherwise if we commit a smaller evil to procure a greater good certain guilt would thus be incurred in expectation of contingent advantage and though the advantage would certainly follow yet the interval between commission and advantage which is allowed to be guilty may be that in which we are called away to answer for the things we have done and the volume of human actions is closed for ever but i interrupt you my dear go on the very next morning continued she i found what little expectations i was to have from his sincerity that very morning he introduced me to two unhappy women more whom like me he had deceived but who lived in contented prostitution i loved him too tenderly to bear such rivals in his affections and strove to forget my infamy in a tumult of pleasures with this view i danced dressed and talked but still was unhappy the gentlemen who visited there told me every moment of the powers of my charms, and this only contributed to increase my melancholy, as I had thrown all their power quite away. Thus each day I grew more pensive and he more insolent, till at last the monster had the assurance to offer me to a young baronet of his acquaintance. Need I describe, sir, how this ingratitude stung me? My answer to his proposal was almost madness. I desired to part. As I was going he offered me a purse, but I flung it at him with indignation, and burst from him in a rage, that for a while kept me insensible of the miseries of my situation. But I soon looked around me and saw myself a vile, abject, guilty thing, without one friend in the world to apply to. Just in that interval, a stage-coach happening to pass by, I took a place, it being my only aim to be driven at a distance from a wretch I despised and detested. I was set down here, where, since my arrival, my own anxiety and this woman's unkindness have been my only companions. The hours of pleasure that I have passed with my mamma and sister now grow painful to me. Their sorrows are much, but mine is greater than theirs, for mine are mixed with guilt and infamy. 
have patience my child cried i and i hope things will yet be better take some repose to-night and to-morrow i'll carry you home to your mother and the rest of the family from whom you'll receive a kind reception poor woman this has gone to her heart but she loves you still olivia and will forget it End of chapter twenty one